You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Hey, everyone. I am Patrick Casal on the All Things Private Practice podcast. Today, we're here with Jeff Gunther, co-founder of Therapy Den. He is a licensed professional counselor in Portland, Oregon, doing some really cool stuff out there. Also has an incredibly truthful and hilarious TikTok account that I recommend following. And we are going to talk about private practice fears today, startup fears, funny stories that have happened to both of us along the way and experiences that were really real and really terrifying at the time. But we pushed through them and got to the other side. So if you're listening, feel free to download, subscribe, share wherever you listen to podcasts. Jeff, I'm really happy to have you on after we did that webinar series the other day. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here. I love talking about private practice and being in a private practice. That's the main thing I do, even though there's a ton of other things that I like to do in the mental health community. But that's like being a therapist and having a private practice is the thing that grounds me every week so that I kind of like know what I'm doing. I'm seeing the same clients over and over again. It's probably the most fulfilling part of my career. So I'm really happy to talk about it. Great. Wow. The most fulfilling thing in your career. That's a big statement. And I think that's really true for a lot of us in small business ownership. So Jeff, how long have you been in private practice? When did you decide you wanted to do this and how long have you been doing it? Yeah, well, I got my degree in marriage family therapy from USC in Southern California in 2005. And it's a little tricky, a little cumbersome to like start your private practice, uh, launch your private practice in California. So there was some appeal moving outside of California up to Portland, Oregon. So got my degree in 2005, two weeks later, moved up to Portland, Oregon. And you just have to kind of like rent an office space, hang up a little shingle and say that you're open and get a supervisor of course. So I started my practice back in 2005 and it's been a while now. Wow. Yeah. So in 16 years, it's still the most fulfilling thing that you've done. Uh, yeah, it's the most fulfilling thing. It's the thing that I've like learned the most uh, when it comes to like learning about myself or just, you know, therapy skills, how to connect with people. It's and it's also it's the most fulfilling because you can actually like see the growth in people and that feels really good. Although there's been, you know, when in grad school at USC, I kind of focused on working with like kids and teenagers, mostly middle schoolers. So when I was in California and I had my first little internship, I worked with these like Venice Beach punks <laughs> these like little tiny emo kids that had hair in front of their face and they're little turds you know but like i liked them they just didn't want to go to school and so they talked right about right that. yeah uh, and then when i moved up to portland i was like i think i'm gonna start focusing i'm gonna continue to focus on kids and families that eventually changed but very very early on in the practice i was dealing with a lot of anxiety that we can get into since we're going to be talking about anxiety let's go for it practice. you want to go for it all right. Let's go for it. So you're you're getting into private practice and you're having a lot of anxiety. You're leaving California. You're moving to Oregon. What's going through your head? Like what's happening in that process? 
yeah, I moved to Oregon and I don't know anybody in Oregon. So I'm just sort of like here, seeing what it's like, not connected, no community. I find a supervisor, but it's the kind of supervisor it's just like, he seems super competent, but I don't connect with him. Like there just wasn't like a trusting relationship that was ever built with him. So that was part of the problem is that I felt like I really couldn't talk to my supervisor or I don't know what was going on there. But I start my private practice. I put my ads on uh, Craigslist. <laughs> Did you ever do that? Did you ever like advertise your practice on Craigslist? I'm going to say no to that. I, I also want to like, you know, I want to say I graduated my with my master's in 2015. So I definitely did some stuff on Craigslist, but it was never business related. It was like, I'm looking for a place to live. I'm doing other things. So you're advertising on Craigslist. Uh, yeah, I decided to advertise on Craigslist because that was not, I mean, it's always like Craigslist, I guess has always been creepy, but it was not as creepy or as more okay in Portland in 2005. I don't know. But my right. main sources of advertising were Craigslist. I got clients there. And also I made flyers and hung them up on poles <laughs> around I town. And the, and the flyers were very on trend. They were like, are you stalking your boyfriend on MySpace? How do you feel about that? <laughs> Lots of MySpace references. Anyways, I start my private practice, get some clients from Craigslist. They start coming in. I have like four or five clients. And I'm like somebody who can kind of suffer from anxiety here or there. Like, you know, I'll get like a little sweaty or my heart will start racing. Like real normal run-of-the-mill anxiety symptoms. And I start seeing my clients. And all of a sudden, while I'm seeing them, I think the first session, I'm just like, I have no idea what I'm fucking doing here. Like this is, I like have prepared. I saw these little middle school turds these 12 year olds where I just like had to listen to them bitch about school and I was like yeah school sucks sorry you're 12 uh, but then <laughs> I had these adults these like actual real adults and I never saw adults I only saw children and it never like crossed my mind that it was going to be a completely different experience seeing an adult so an adult was sitting across from me and they were telling me about their suicidal ideation and I was like what <laughs> like I had no idea I mean this sounds like I was really incompetent or just I like wasn't I should have known this stuff and it's true I should have known this stuff but I didn't really like understand that I was going to like deal with these sorts of problems it was until it was like right in front of me and I thought that maybe if like you know someone came in and talked about their suicidal ideation I'm like I got that I you know I had a whole course in that but obviously <laughs> it's a lot different yeah three whole months of listening and <laughs> learning about suicidality now you're hearing these stories they're intense they're very different than I don't want to go to school right so Exactly. And we can all relate to that damn statement. Uh -huh. And these people are telling you about their stories and you're having some doubts, some insecurities coming up. Are you mm -hmm. thinking like you should go see a therapist? Like you should call someone? <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's like one of the most common like thoughts that a new therapist is having is like, you need to see a therapist, a real therapist. <laughs> I, I obviously don't know what the fuck I'm doing here. So clients are coming in. These adults with real adult problems are talking to me. I'm starting to feel anxious, whatever. Fine, like racing heart. But it got weird because my anxiety started to manifest in this way that it had never manifested before, where at first it just felt like, and maybe this is common, but like, it just felt like I kind of needed to pee. Like all of a sudden, like, I was just like, I really need to go to the bathroom. It's like, whatever, I'm going to hold this. Like the end of the session happens. I go to the bathroom, not much pee comes out, but like, I'm just like, all right, I feel like I'm empty. And then I go into the next session again. I feel like I need to pee. So for that whole first week, like the anxiety was manifesting in this way where I felt like I needed to pee. And I kind of put it together that it wasn't actually like my bladder. It was anxiety because I didn't have anything 
thing to actually pee out. So I was like, this is weird, um, but okay. And then I go into the second week and it starts to get even worse. So bad that it sort of like, it's not like I need to pee anymore. It's like, I think there might be pee that's coming out. And it was this real, like genuine sensation of like me peeing my pants. And I had never peed my pants before as an adult. So I was kind of freaking out, like maybe I'm peeing, maybe I'm not peeing. It was just sort of this like phantom pee. But I was so convinced that there was like pee coming out that I'd have to like look down at my pants because I was just like, they must be soaking wet. And this client that's sitting in front of me for some reason is not telling me that I'm peeing my pants. That sounds so horrifying. It sounds so traumatic in the moment. Yeah, yeah. It so was. How are you holding it all together when you're doing therapy, also thinking that this is happening? Well, I'm like crossing my legs, just sort of like holding in what I think is pee that's coming out. And I'm having a total freak out. So I cannot concentrate on what my clients are saying. I can kind of like nod along. I can give like empathetic facial expressions. But to actually like track them and do like deeper analytical work like that was not possible as I feel like I'm peeing my pants and I was just paranoid the whole time that eventually after like that second week of feeling like I'm going to pee my pants I was like okay you know I'm not going to I know that I'm not going to but I thought that like somehow eventually it would tip over into like me losing control of my bladder and that I wouldn't know if I was or wasn't so I was starting to like not drink water on those client days I was trying to like pee as much as I could before clients to like convince myself I was going in dehydrated I was like dehydrating myself and still it wasn't going away and so then it was like third fourth week I'm getting like really upset really anxious I'm not telling my supervisor for whatever reason because I'm like super embarrassed sure Uh, and there's other colleagues that are sort of in the office that I'm renting from but I don't feel safe or close enough to talk to them so I decided all I really need to do here is like convince myself that even if I did pee my pants, it would be okay. So I decided that I was either going to wear a diaper to session or what I thought was also a really good idea is I'd somehow put a condom on so that if I peed, I just like go into the condom or pee into the diaper. But I was like, is the diaper going to crinkle when I sit down? What would you think if this like 24 year old baby therapist sat down and you heard like a little diaper crinkle go and and you were a client, like, how would that make you feel? Anyways, if you had the choice of wearing a diaper or a condom or something else, like, what do you think you would have done? Oh, my God. If I have to start rationalizing between those two choices to think about, like, what is going to protect me and the embarrassment that's happening, I think I go diaper. I think I go all in on diaper, (laughs) you know, like, because condom to me feels like, all right, if I pee in this and it starts leaking out onto me, that is going to make me freak out even more. So which route do you go? Do you just talk yourself through it and think to yourself, like almost catastrophizing, like worst case scenario, what happens if this happens? Yeah. I mean, I I also thought like a condom could not hold all the pee and and Mm -hmm. would it like expand into like a water balloon that I could trust or would it just sort of like come back at me? And then if it does expand and then it, (laughs) I mean, that is the bigger fear in my mind. Uh Uh-huh. 
Yeah, yeah, that was a huge fear. I decided that I was not going to get diapers and I was also not going to get a condom and that this is a lot of feedback from my body that like, I don't know what I'm fucking doing and I need to stop. And so after like four, five, six weeks or something, I decided to stop because I was just sort of like going crazy in my head. I couldn't like control all the fear and control this like bodily sensation. So that was really depressing and upsetting. And I thought about quitting mental health altogether. I was like, this obviously is, it's clear that I don't have the capacity mentally, emotionally, physically, like there's no way I should do this. And I just spent, you know, whatever, 60, $75,000, whatever on a graduate degree and moved to Portland to do this. So I felt a lot of shame and a lot of embarrassment and tell any of my friends or family back home. And I instead decide like I, I need a job. So I was like, I'm going to apply to the Apple store. Big fan of Apple computers, love Apple computers, have been working on them since I was a kid. So I applied to the Apple store, which was in the Pioneer Place Portland Mall, just right downtown. Got an interview and I couldn't show up for the interview because I was just like, I can't work in the fucking mall. Like I just <laughs> got a graduate degree. I can't work in the mall. I already worked at the mall when I was a teenager. So it felt like a real step backwards. So that's my story. So that feels really, really painful. Like this existential crossroads too of mm-hmm. I'm feeling this shame. I'm feeling this embarrassment. I don't even know why I got into this profession. I'm questioning mm-hmm. my competency. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm going to go work at the fucking Apple store and sell uh, MacBooks to punk right. kids who don't want to be in school. <laughs> so it comes full circle. That's a really, a really real story, though. And I appreciate you sharing that and just being open with it and being able to laugh at it. Because obviously, by knowing you and it's no longer 2005, you're clearly still a therapist. So how does that happen then when you work through this, like this fear and this embarrassment and the shamefulness of I'm really overwhelmed. I'm feeling really panicky about this career and this career choice. I mean, I should have just gone right into therapy, although I also was very poor in 2000. I just didn't have any extra income to go to therapy. So I decided not to work at the Apple store, went home, and I just started to apply to jobs like agency jobs. Where I was just like, I need a team of people around me and I need to try to find a job where I'm working with middle school kids because obviously those are the only clients I should ever be talking to. Like, I just need to play Uno with kids every session. and destroy them at Uno. I also never let them win. I never let them win. What is that about? Just, (laughs) is that that really competitive edge coming out? Like, I have to crush these kids? Uh Uh-huh, yeah. I mean, I really enjoy winning. I also have this, you know, I believe in the phrase, like, oh, it sounds horrible, but if you're not cheating, then you're not trying. Like, so I'd also do, like, they're cheating, obviously. I'm going to do some cheats, too. It was a whole thing. That's a different podcast episode. But instead... I did get a job working at a middle school where I was like seeing little middle schoolers. And so I really just sort of like decided instead of like growing in a way where I'm just like going to try to grow and see adults or see different types of clients or couples or whatever it was, I was just like, I'm going to stick with the people, with the kids that I know. And I worked there for a couple of years just seeing middle schoolers. And then it naturally, like I would like talk to their parents and I would do like one-on-one sessions with their parents. And I had like a lot of, you know, I had a supervisor and other like counselors in the office with me. So it was just sort of like a natural progression until I felt more comfortable. And then it turned out that like, I also started like teaching parents.
parenting classes. And I really enjoyed that and doing family therapy. But through that family therapy, parenting classes, I like soon-ish found out that I hate working with parents. And it wasn't because I was like not good enough. It was just like, they suck. Do you feel me on that? Parents? I feel you on that. Parents are the worst. I always think about why do I not like working with kids or teens or even young adults whose parents are paying for their therapy because parents are the fucking worst. Like, I don't want to deal with it. So you're working and running these parenting groups. You're working Mm -hmm. at a school. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you're building your confidence up in this way. I'm building my confidence up in that way, but I'm like now getting sick of playing Uno with the kids. I'm too good at Uno. You know, like I've peaked. This isn't interesting. It's like Michael Jordan. I was the Michael Jordan of Uno. You've probably, like everybody heard about me in Oregon. I was amazing. But I was like, I don't want to play Uno. I don't want to like work with these kids. I also don't want to work with parents anymore. I really just want to work with like young adults in their 20s or maybe 30s that are having these like existential crises or my life isn't what I thought it was going to be lots of like relationship anxious attachment sort of things and that's what I eventually went into so I was like freaking out at at first thought I was gonna like pee my pants eventually just stuck with the clients that I knew that I felt competent with and that just sort of like naturally started like opening doors for me to like work with different clients and I also finally like got my own therapist and was able to like work through my own shit you know yeah Yeah. it's a really wonderful story and coming full circle to that too of like I took a leap of faith. I left California. I moved to Oregon. Mm -hmm. I'm posting in Craigslist looking for clients, um, (laughs) potentially about to get murdered. Uh, I start to have this major panic and anxiety and experience that makes me question my identity. Am I at an existential crossroads? I've got to go Mm -hmm. beat some kids at Uno and draw four over and over and over again. And now you're here and you've been in private practice ever since. And it probably never happens if you don't take that leap of faith and embrace that fear in the first place, I imagine because moving out of state is scary enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, moving out of state was scary. Being a therapist in the first place was scary. And it prepared me for like, obviously, like there was more fears and anxieties that I felt as I continued to be a therapist and that I'll still feel to this day. But I know that I've gotten through them. And even once, you know, like, so eventually I stopped working with the middle school kids, went back into private practice and started my own thing. And there were some surprises there that I wasn't expecting. And it usually came up in the form of like a client would present present something to me and I'd be like, um, I got nothing for you. Like, or I was really scared. Like a client would be like, they would admit that they did a murder or something. Like, and I was just like, what? Like, I don't know how to deal with somebody who's like killed somebody. That was a real thing that happened. I was just like, nobody prepared me for that in grad school or any supervisors. So it was just sort of like this panic of like, I can't treat them. And I don't know if this is a good idea or what you have done yourself, but like whenever I was scared, I was like, I'm just going to go back to my core competencies and try to work with clients that I know that I'm really competently like fit for, which sounds like a good idea. But even if you work with those clients that you feel like extremely comfortable with, they're going to bring in shit that you're not prepared for and that you have to grow for or refer them out if you're really not a good fit, obviously. But it's just sort of like being a therapist, even seeing like the ones that you feel like you can treat the most, you're going to grow whether you like it or not. What usually happens first is that like I panic, I'm afraid, I don't feel like I can do anything and then I learn and I feel a lot better. 
sounds like that panicking and shame response really takes over too. And I do think going back to core competency, for sure, I think that's really common, especially for newer clinicians who are still growing and evolving. I think we lose sight very often that we're really holding space for people. And like, mm -hmm. if all we can do is just show up and hold that space and just be there for that person, I don't think we always know the answers, right? Like we don't, mm -hmm. we don't know the answers in some of those situations. And some of them really take you by surprise, like murder and others, you know, other really really intense events that happen to humans. And mm -hmm. this field is so fucking hard. So mm -hmm. your ability to go through your own shit, right? And work through it and show up, that's a testament. And that probably created more authenticity and more rapport with clients who are also really struggling for you to say, mm -hmm. I know what it's like to have a hard time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if this is a real stat or where I heard this stat, but there was something I heard probably in grad school that like the relationship is 80% of the healing. That like really, yeah. you just need to have a really good relationship relationship. And then the 20% the are like the techniques and the interventions and all that stuff. So if, like you're saying, if you can just connect with your client and hold space, there's so much healing. So when all else fails, I just fall back on like my relationship, my good, trusting, healing relationship that I have with my clients and voila. Like, yeah, it is good enough, you know, and I think we lose sight of that so often because we're constantly critiquing ourselves and holding ourselves to standards that are unrealistic. But I think it also is humility too. Like I want to be able to do a good job for my clients. I want to be able to show up and not do harm. And I mm -hmm. think if you're thinking that way, then you're not doing harm. Like if you're mm -hmm. intentionally being mindful of, I don't want to harm my client. I want to be the best version of me for them. Then you're already doing the right things. It's just about mm -hmm. being more comfortable with hard conversations. And that comes with time. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I don't know, I'm interested for maybe like your perspective on this. And I don't know if this is changing the subject a little bit, but one of the things that I've been feeling anxious about just in this past month in my private practice is like you mentioned at the top is my TikTok account. So on TikTok, you can go and you can find me, you can search for Therapy Den. And it's just sort of like, it's me being me and I'm just being a person. And someone sometimes I'm trying to be funny. Sometimes I'm trying to be informative. Sometimes I'm sort of like ruffling feathers. And it's really an authentic version of who I am. And that's really funny. And it's like a great outlet. But, you know, and also kind of like you, like I've been on podcasts. I'm sort of like in the mental health community. People know about me. But my clients have never come across my work until TikTok. So there's like half of my clients are on TikTok and scrolling through TikTok. And there was this one week where this like one video I did like went sort of viral and five of my clients came in that week and they're like, so I saw you on TikTok. It was one of the more anxiety provoking experiences I've had because I like knew that like there was a possibility that my clients could see me or hear me or read some of my blogs or whatever it was. But five of them like saw me come up on their phone and I was like, well, how'd you feel about that? And all of a sudden I was just like, I'm just like this little fucking clown on TikTok or I'm like being a little turd on TikTok. Like this is not how they know me. And I've ruined the relationship. Like all of us, like they are going to like see me differently or think of me differently, or they're going to be scared that I'm going to like somehow reveal things that we talk about in here on TikTok. And so there's just sort of like this, wow, my public persona is now being shown to my clients. And there's like a bunch of therapists in our community that like we need to be really careful about what our public persona is. 
is. And there's a big part of me that's sort of like, hey, therapists are people too. But then another part of me is just like, oh, but how much, like how authentic should we be out there? I don't, what do you think about that? It's a big question. <laughs> it's a big question. <laughs> so I would love to know how you responded to that in a second with them sure. coming in and like bringing that up. But yeah, you're so right. Like there is this balancing act of we are expected to act in a certain way as mental health therapists in our industry. I think society expects us to act a certain way. Our profession does. And for those of us who are trying to do things differently and be more authentic, it can certainly create and elicit a response from people who are like, you're definitely doing things unethically or wrong, right? Like we love to throw the unethical word around. Mm -hmm. So I always think like it's a balancing act, like even in terms of disclosure, I'm not telling clients my entire life story for the purpose of like self-serving. But if I can disclose my story so that they feel supported, normalized and validated and have a light at the end of the tunnel, then I think it's a positive. Same thing for TikTok, right? Like you have other outlets and personalities other than like I am a therapist and I work for my private practice and I own Therapy Den. Like Mm -hmm. you have other hats and you have other roles in society and you're a human being. So I like the statement you just made, like therapists are people too. Like therapists are out there doing crazy shit on TikTok anyway. So why does it matter if therapists are also talking about what it's like to be a therapist in the therapeutic setting? Because Mm -hmm. I think that is really real. And some clients may get a little frustrated about that and they may take it personally. But I do think that it's a balancing act. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a balancing act as well. And luckily, my clients, all five of them that came in were like, just like excited and thought it was like really cool and really funny. And they responded really well to it. But it it definitely seems like something I'm going to have to keep on checking in with them about like every once in a while. Because I think it would be if my therapist was on TikTok and they were being all like in your face or authentic or funny like I am subscribing to that channel I'm going to be watching every single one of those videos just out of curiosity you know because it's sort of like you get to find out what your therapist or like what your you know middle school teacher is like what their life is like it's just sort of like oh you don't really ever get to know that there's also like there's a debate sometimes in Portland you know Portland very progressive sex positive and there happens to be like a good amount of sex clubs here like there are lots of people love to do sex in Portland. And <laughs> and there's a lot of also like there's a lot of sex therapists in Portland. And there's some sex therapists that are just like, hey, we're going to go like we like to go to the sex clubs and we're going to go to those sex clubs. And if our client sees us having sex, that's OK. And other sex therapists or non-sex therapists are just like, no, this is so not OK. And if you were ever going to go to a sex club, go up to Seattle, like get out of Portland. <laughs> Portland or go down to San Francisco. And it's such an interesting debate where like a lot of those sex therapists that go to sex clubs here in Portland are just like, you know what? I'm a person too. I like to do this. Like if a client saw me, like that's okay. Or that's something we can process. Or I'm going to like let my clients know that they might find me there or something. But you know, there's a lot of debate around that. So I just like find it fascinating that. I don't think it's black and white. You know, I think that we do such a good job of compartmentalizing and making every everything black and white and failing to remember that there's gray area in life and there's gray area in our profession. And I always bring it back to client harm. Like if we're not intentionally trying to do clients harm and we're not, you know, revealing their secrets and keeping their confidentiality. I mean, at the end of the day, when do we get to also be human beings and also go out in our communities and do the things that we enjoy doing? I mean, I work with addiction. If I go out to have a beer and my client works at the restaurant because it's a small city, it's these weird things that happen. And like, I don't 
acknowledge the relationship. I've had clients try to buy me rounds at bars that I've gone to. And I'm like, no bartender, like, please don't allow for this round to be purchased on that person. Like, but like, then how do I have that conversation with the bartender? Right. Like, why are you turning this down? Well, I can't have that conversation. It's just mm -hmm. our work is messy. I think that what you're doing is really valuable to the community in a lot of different ways. I mean, you run a platform that is really geared towards inclusivity and anti-racism and sex positive population. And I think it's really important to have what you're offering because mm -hmm. we need those spaces too to combat the other side of it, which is like, like absolutely fucking not. Like we're not here for any of this. Yeah, exactly. And that's also like I run Therapy Den and we have that mission and we also have a voice and I get to be like the voice of Therapy Den. And I love how I'm just like really putting it out there and all the other therapist directories or maybe at least most of them, like they don't have an authentic voice. It's fucking boring or just real standard or something. And that's not interesting. That's not attractive. That's not the way the world is going. It's not. And it's not the way the era world of psychotherapy is going either. So if you were to say who's the founder of psychology today or mental health match or whatever i don't know the answer to that but people yeah. know the answer of therapy then because you're mm -hmm. out there you're in the communities you're responding to things that are controversial you're being real and you're walking the walk because you're backing it up and i think that is really impressive to put yourself out there like that and say i also run this thing that a lot of you use i think we attract and repel and mm -hmm. we attract what we put out we attract when we're working within our value system and we repel people who don't feel that we are in alignment with theirs and that's okay mm -hmm. so keep doing what you're doing you know I, I always enjoy talking to you and you make me laugh a lot this is the podcast where i've had to like cover my mouth for the last 10 minutes laughing and i appreciate that i love your sense of humor but tell us where we can find you tell us what you're doing in the community so that people who are listening can find your stuff yeah they can go to therapyden.com if you want to check out my therapist directory you can email me personally at hello at therapyden.com Find me at Twitter, which I think I'm hilarious on Twitter. Not enough Twitter followers. <laughs> So, I don't I don't so, think I've ever read a tweet in my entire life. Probably need to get into that world. I mean, Twitter is not, honestly, it's not the place for like therapists to go. It's hard to create a brand and go viral and connect. It takes a lot of work. So don't find me on Twitter. Stay off that fucking dumpster fire of a site. Find me on TikTok by searching for Therapy Den. Yeah. And, you know, I love doing podcasts, especially with you. So you can find me on lots of different podcasts out there, too. Very, very cool. So so everyone, please try to check out Therapy Den. Great, inclusive listing and directory page for therapists. There's a free version. There's a paid version where it's a sliding scale. Pay what you can for the premium. I just learned that the last time I talked with Jeff. So please take advantage of it. Be more visible to your ideal clients, especially those who are more vulnerable, who don't feel like they feel safe going on other platforms looking for therapists that are in alignment with their values too. And I think that's really important for our clients' well-being and for the world of psychotherapy. Too. Listen to these podcasts anywhere you listen to podcasts, download and subscribe. Feel free to share. I also have a Facebook group, All Things Private Practice. And if you want individual or group coaching, allthingspractice.com. So thank you so much for listening. If you like authentic conversation, things that are going to go against the grain and probably piss people off, then you're in the right place. Thanks, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Talk later. Thanks, man. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.